Hey everybody, it's Matt Zola from Fern Creek Christian Church. So glad you're able to tune in with us today. Hey, while you're on your phone, why don't you go ahead and follow us on social media at Fern Creek CC on Facebook and Instagram. And you can download the Fern Creek Christian Church app on your phone today. We hope this message encourages you to become a better follower of Jesus, to be a disciple that makes more disciples. So without further ado, here's the message. Hey, welcome to week three of a series that we're in called Grinches. And the idea behind the series was to talk about the green monsters that try to steal our Christmas joy. And we talked about materialism. Uh, last week we talked about sadness. And today I want to talk to you about conflict. Because say what you will, conflict seems to happen at Christmas time. There's conflict at the mall where you're trying to go through your list and you're like, really? Is it all about stuff and people are moving and shoving? Conflict on the Gene Snyder, amen? Yeah, somebody, you're not getting in front of me, Bucky. Not today, right? I mean, there's conflict with our schedules as we're trying to figure out how to pack it all in. We see different members of our family that we haven't seen in a few few years and everybody has a few Cousin Eddie's in their family tree, right? Right? If you can't figure out who the Cousin Eddie is in your family, maybe, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, all right? Conflict, conflict. Now, now I want you to know, conflict was a big part of that first Christmas. Um, one of the things I'm, I'm intentionally trying to do with this series, Grinches, is disrupt your picture of Christmas. Uh, we, we, we all have this picture, right? Like, like, like we sing the songs about silent night, all is calm, all is bright, and we, we have this picture. And what I'm, what I'm asking you to do is to look through your picture, look deeper than your picture. And it's hard. What I'm asking you to do is, is to get rid of the hallmark picture of whatever you think Christmas was and to look deep. And that's hard to do. It reminds me when I was in high school, we used to hang out at the Bastard Manor Mall. Do you remember the Bastard Manor Mall? Right? I remember, I remember at the Bastard Manor Mall and I saw all these people crowded around something. And I'm like, what's, what's everybody looking at? And I, and I kind of broke through the crowd and they were staring at these giant posters, these framed posters called stereograms. Here, here's a picture of a stereogram. Do you remember those? I'm like, what are y'all looking at? And they're like, ooh, I see it. Ooh, I see it. I'm like, all I see is like somebody, like a computer threw up. I don't know what you're looking at. They're like, oh, but if you, if you stare at that image long enough and you cross your eyes and you stand on one foot, you'll see a hidden image jump out of that picture. And I could never, ever find the hidden image. But if you look at that picture long enough and cross your eyes long enough and stand on one foot, this is the image behind that picture. Like that's buried in that computer-generated uh, image. And in order for you to see the Grinch of conflict that I'm talking about with you today, you're going to have to look deep. I've never preached a Christmas sermon like this. You probably have never heard one like this. So I'm going to ask you to look deeper than the picture you came in with this morning. Because here's the way most of us picture the Christmas story. Look at these two pictures. These are famous paintings of that night so long ago. 
The one on the left, again, it's always this warm glow, a bunch of white Anglos, you know, looking down at the baby, a bunch of French Europeans, you know. You see Frenchy Le Pew and his raspberry beret, the kind you find at a secondhand store. All right, we'll just keep rolling. But you see, you see how it's all soft and glowing. And then you see the, the, the picture on the right, there's Cowboy Larry in his cowboy hat because we know all first century Jews wore raspberry berets and cowboy hats, right? They're realistic. And look at the animals. Oh, look at how calm the animals are, how clean they are. There's no cow slobber going on, no mad cow disease, no poo in the, in the manger, right? And little baby Jesus, no crying he makes because that's not just any straw, that's Gucci straw. The softest straw in all of the land, scented with sugar cookie Febreze scents, right? And then there's Mary. Every painting I see of Mary, there is pure Mary, right? Like clothes nicely washed, pressed, size two, just days after giving birth. And look at how much rest she's gotten on all those soft barn floors. Might have been so soft, right? But it's this romantic image that we have. And, and maybe that's your picture. And in all probability, it was nothing like that. But whatever you picture, I'm going to ask you to look at it deeper. Because when you look deeper through whatever image you picture, there's a hidden image that jumps out that I, bear, I get you, I guarantee you've never seen. So if you look deep at the Christmas story, here's the image that pops out. Now, have any of you pictured a giant red dragon before? Have you ever seen that hidden image pop out? Whatever, whatever you picture, this is the image behind that first Christmas. Now, I know you've never seen a red dragon in any Christmas play you've ever seen. I know you've never seen in a nativity set a red dragon. I, I can't get, we talked about the weeping woman last week. I've never seen her. I've always, every nativity set I see, I try to find the red dragon. I've never found one with a red dragon in it. And there's no song that we sing. We don't sing, hark the herald angels sing, a dragon waits to eat our king. We don't sing songs like that, right? But, but I want you to know something. If your nativity set doesn't have a red dragon perched on the roof, if your nativity set that you set up every year, you don't have a dragon lurking behind one of the shepherds, your nativity set is incomplete. You won't find the red dragon in any of the gospels. Matthew doesn't write about him, Luke, Mark, John. He's not in any of the gospels. You gotta flip all the way to the back of your Bible, the very last book, the book of Revelation, but there you will find the night Jesus was born, the red dragon swooped in to Bethlehem. And I wanna tell you about it. I wanna tell you about that conflict. Let me take you to Revelation chapter 12. Let me show you the red dragon. Revelation 12, look at verse one. Then I witnessed in heaven, so John is seeing this vision. I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Then look at verse three. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large, here it is, red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on his head, his tail swept away one third of the stars in the sky and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. 
In four verses in Revelation chapter 12, we are introduced to the conflict of Christmas. The red dragon who waits to devour the child. I'm trying to show you in all of these snapshots as we talk about Grinches, that that first Christmas was not tame. It was not tranquil. Christmas is not about elves or trees or eggnog. It has nothing to do with what you find or don't find under the tree. It has nothing to do with what fits or what doesn't fit. I want you to clearly see what Christmas is really all about. I want, I want to make sure you understand that Jesus was born for two reasons. And the first reason he was born is he came to defeat the red dragon. He came to defeat this red dragon. In the text, we read about this pregnant woman. And at first glance, you're tempted to go, I know who that is, that's Mary. Well, well hang on a second. The woman is clothed with the moon and the stars, has a crown of 12 stars. So most commentators will say the woman is representative of the nation of Israel. 12 sons of Jacob, right? 12 tribes of Israel. So, so Mary is a part of the nation of Israel, but don't think of the woman as Mary specifically. Think of the woman as the nation of Israel. That's, that's the woman. Then let me reintroduce you to the dragon again. Look at verse 3. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns on his head. His tail swept away a third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. And here, here comes his mission. He stood in front of the woman, and she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. If there's any question about who the woman is, there's no question who the dragon is because John will tell you who the dragon is. Again, Revelation is full of symbols and pictures, but let John describe the dragon. Look at a few verses later, look at chapter 12, verse 9. He says, the, he talks about the great dragon, the ancient serpent, one called the devil, Satan. So I'm showing you that this dragon is a symbol, it's a picture of the devil. It's an image, a representation of Satan himself. So the question becomes, why? Why is this red dragon? Why is the devil? Why is Satan so intimidated, so threatened by this little baby? Why does Satan want to kill this child? Well, he knows. The devil knows the birth of this child will have cosmic consequences. The birth of this child is going to change the game forever. How does the dragon know this? How does the devil know this? Well, go back. He's, uh, go back to the very beginning. Go back to the Garden of Eden. You remember when, when Adam and Eve sinned, he tempted them to sin and they sinned and then God dished out some punishments. He dished out some consequences. Do you remember what, what God said to the, to the dragon? Do you remember what he said to Satan? Look at Genesis 3.15. Let me remind you. Let me go back and remind you what he said to the devil. He said, listen, Satan, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. Now you, you will strike his heel. What I'm saying is God told the devil, you've made a mess of things. You've really messed things up. Your influence caused all of this. But from this woman, I will bring forth a champion. From this woman, a king will someday come and you might wound him, but he's going to crush your head. He's gonna, it's, the, it's the first messianic prophecy. 
that God said someone was coming. And so from that moment, don't you understand? From that moment, the dragon did whatever he could do to stop this child from coming. He tried to do whatever he could do to, to kill the people of God because he didn't want to see this child come forth. Let me remind you, the dragon tried to corrupt the human race so that God would kill them all. But God saved one righteous man named Noah and his family and he saved them and he started again. The dragon failed. The dragon whispered in the ear of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, kill all the baby boy Hebrews. They're a threat. But God spared Moses and God brought Moses up and God sent Moses to Pharaoh and he, and he led the people out of Egypt. The dragon failed. The dragon enraged Haman to kill all of the Jews but God raised up a, a queen named Esther who saved them. The dragon failed. The dragon installed a pagan queen among God's people. Her name was Jezebel. She tried to kill off all the prophets of God. She tried to sway the nation to worship her gods. But God raised up a prophet named Elijah and he sent a drought and he brought the people's hearts back to him. The dragon failed. And the dragon thought, if I can't kill the people of God, perhaps I can kill the word of God. So the Bible, the scripture was outlawed. It was banned. It was burned. But one copy, get this, one copy was preserved. One copy was hidden. And a king named Josiah found it, reintroduced it to the people. A revival swept through the nation. The dragon failed. So the dragon brought Assyria. The dragon brought Babylon to cart the, the Jewish people away. And, and yet God brought them back from captivity. The dragon failed. So he has done all that he can do time and time and time again to stop this child from coming, but nothing worked. So he waited. He knew the scriptures said Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So he kept a watchful eye. And when the wise men from the east showed up, he whispered into Herod's ear, kill all the baby boys two years old and younger when they failed to report back to him. But God warned Mary and Joseph in a dream and they escaped to Egypt. The dragon failed. The dragon tried to tempt Jesus in the desert, but he failed. The dragon tried to drown Jesus in the storm, but he failed. The dragon tried to have him stoned to death, but he failed. And then the dragon had him arrested, had him tried, had him condemned, had him nailed to a cross. The dragon watched as, as his body bled out, as he suffered, as he cried out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The dragon watched him die. The dragon watched his lifeless body taken off the cross, buried in the tomb. And after centuries of failure, the dragon had finally achieved his goal. And for three days, and that dragon celebrated, that dragon gloated, that dragon prevailed. But on that third day, you know what happened, man. From deep within the earth, the earth began to rumble. 
And the stone began to roll away. And that dragon ran to the tomb, taking all the demons he could take with him to try to stop that stone from rolling. But that stone rolled away. Jesus rose from the grave. And that dragon was dethroned once and for all. He failed yet again. Do you understand, this, this is what Paul was driving at when he was trying to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. Look at Colossians, look at what Paul said, talking about how we were entrapped and enslaved by the dragon. He said, you were dead because of your sin, because of your sinful nature, it wasn't cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of your sins. He canceled the record of charges brought against us. How did he do that? Paul says he nailed it to the cross. See, it was on the cross. In this way, on the cross, Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Christmas, friends, was just another skirmish. It was another battle. It was another conflict in this great cosmic war between God and the devil over you and I. See, Jesus came to defeat the dragon. That's what Christmas is all about. There's another reason he came. It's in the text of Revelation 12. Let's continue reading. Look at what he says. Revelation 12, 5. She gave birth to a son. So the dragon's waiting. He knows his child's going to defeat him. She gave birth to a son, a male child. He will rule all the nations with and tell me the next two words. Iron scepter. See, when, when you read the Bible, you can blow right through it. But you've got to realize nothing's there by accident. So he's going to rule with an iron scepter, and her child will step up to God into his throne. The second reason Jesus came was to become king. Came to defeat the dragon, but he came to be king. Now, this is no ordinary child that we read about. He's not only going to rule the nations, the Bible says he will rule with an iron scepter. Now listen, I'm your pastor. And as I stand in front of you, it's 30 hours of sermon prep every single week. I can't tell you how many hours I spent researching iron scepters, more than I dare to imagine. <laughs> because I'm going back going, all right, well, what is the whole deal about iron scepters? Because you know that kings and scepters go together. There are all kinds of symbols for kingship. You got the crown, you got the throne. Every king had a scepter. The scepter was the, the symbol of his authority. The scepter was a, a sign of his power. And as I've researched it, spending hours upon hours, scepters and kings go together. I, I, I read about wooden scepters. I read about ivory scepters. I read about golden scepters. I've read about scepters that had intricate design, scepters loaded with precious gems, but in all of my hours, I, that I have not found one earthly king who ruled with an iron scepter. Now, there may be, but I can't find him. And what this is saying is this child will rule with the iron scepter. So, so what's the big deal about that? Well, John tells you. John tells you a little bit later about what the ruler of the iron scepter, who, who the ruler of the iron scepter is. Look at Revelation 19, look at verse 11. John saw, he sees another vision. I saw heaven standing open and before me was a white horse 
whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice, he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Here it comes. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with and what? There he is. This is the ruler of the iron scepter. He treads on the winepress of fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So listen to me. You've got to understand the baby in Bethlehem is no ordinary child. That's not just a baby. This is the one who commands the armies of heaven. This is the ruler of the iron scepter with which he will smash the head of the dragon. This is the rider on the white horse, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the breaker of chains and the ruler of nations. So hear me, God forbid, the only glimpse we ever see of Jesus is the manger. Christmas does not stop. Christmas leads to the cross. It leads to the empty tomb. It leads to the throne of God where there the rider on the white horse awaits the father's command to go. And when that command comes, when he returns, there is no pitched battle. There is no who's going to win. There's going to be one word and that's it. And the dragon will be defeated and condemned forever. This is Christmas. So God forbid we treat Jesus. We respond to Jesus. We deal with Jesus as a lowly, quiet baby, as a gentle, tame, moral teacher. Do not leave him in the manger. Fall at his feet and worship him as King of kings and Lord of lords. For you will do that. You can do that now with adoration or you will be forced to do that in terror. But this is the question. It's the question of all questions. It's my favorite Christmas carol. It's the question you've got to answer. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? This is Christ the King whom shepherds guard and angels sing. So haste, haste, bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. Why lie he in such mean estate where ox and donkeys are feeding? Good Christians fear for sinners here. The silent word is pleading, nails, spears shall pierce him through. The cross he bore for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. So bring him incense, bring him gold, bring him myrrh, come peasant, come king to own him. The king of kings salvation brings 
Let loving hearts enthrone him. Raise, raise a song on high. The virgin sings her lullaby. Joy, joy, for Christ is born, the babe, the son of Mary. My friends, that is the picture behind whatever you picture. Jesus came to defeat the dragon. Jesus came to be the ruler of the iron scepter, to become the king of kings of not just the nations, but of your heart. And that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. So to cement this picture, that's not a very popular image, but to cement it in your mind, I have a little gift for you on the way out. Every single one of you, I want you to stop as you leave, and there's a couple of baskets, and I want you to pick up one of these and take it home. Here, here's my gift, a little dragon. I got a little dragon for you. Now, here's what I want you to do with it. I, I want you to take it home, and I want you to put it in your nativity. I want you to put it in your manger. When you box up your manger, you box up that little dragon, and when you take out your manger, you take out that little dragon. Let me show you mine at home. I don't know if you can see on the left-hand side on the roof of my manger, there's the little red dragon. And as you display your manger and as your kids go, well, what's that all about? Or you got some friends going, I think they're eggnog soured. They got a dragon on their manger. <laughs> you can say, oh, no, 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 no. That's what Christmas is all about. Jesus came to defeat the dragon. Jesus came to be the king that's what Christmas is all about. Let me pray. Hey, it's Matt Zola again. That was a powerful message we just heard. I pray that what we have learned today wouldn't just be stored in our minds, but would move into our hearts and help us to be conformed into the image of God's Son, Jesus. And I pray that that message helped you become a better follower of Jesus and taught you how to love, live, and lead like Jesus. If you want to talk with somebody about something you just heard or you want prayer for something going on in your life, there's somebody on staff who would love to connect with you. Why don't you email us at office at ferncreekcc.org and we want to put a name to your face. We want to know your story and we want to connect with you in person if we can. Again, that's office at ferncreekcc.org. You know, one of the things we value at Fern Creek Christian Church is being a part of community. If you've been listening to our sermons online or you've been watching our services on YouTube or Facebook, why don't you come visit us in person one Sunday? We would love to get to know who you are, and we believe that we grow better as followers of Jesus in community and not in isolation. You know, God gives us community as a gift. We have services every Sunday morning, 845, 10, and 1115, and we hope that you'll feel welcomed enough to be able to join us and worship with us in person. Thanks for tuning in today. Grace, peace, bless others this week.